Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Clarkey. Today, I am genuinely delighted to have back as my guest, Simon Severino. Simon is a specialist in helping people to really think and see what's real in their business and get down to the granular nitty gritty of what makes it tick. I'm going to let him introduce himself in a minute. But today, what we're going to look at are a few of your blind spots, things like you know your blindness to the stuff that you don't know and your lack of curiosity for looking for it. Being able to identify what works and what doesn't work. One of my favorite questions at the moment is if all you could do to improve things was to subtract, what would you stop doing immediately? It's a fantastic question because it focuses on effectiveness rather than just efficiency. Because most people have the illusion of efficiency when actually what they're doing is creating idiocy at scale. And Simon's work is the antithesis of this. We're going to introduce something that is called the entrepreneur's budget because most people who own a business don't really understand finance. Let's be honest. We were technicians who decided we've had enough of this asshole and we're going to go and work for ourselves and we're going to change the world. And then we discovered the reality. One of the realities is cash flow and being able to make investments when we need to. So without any further ado, I'm going to introduce uh, Simon, uh, or let Simon introduce himself rather. And if at any point you want to get in touch with either of us, we'll give you contact details, but both of us offer very, very pragmatic coaching. Um, He has three layers, daily, weekly, and monthly goals. And below that, there are 274 supporting tools. It's quite incredible the level of thinking that he's put in place in order to help you get the result. My coaching is entirely focused on helping you get out of your own way and eliminate friction so that you can do your job in six to eight hours a day. And that's the other promise of today's episode. So without any further ado, Simon, welcome. Hey, Marcos, thank you for having me. Hello, everybody. Excellent. Would you mind giving us 90 seconds on your history and tell us a little bit about the nature of your business as well? Because you're unusual in that you're working with the likes of large automotive firms and you're a tiny organization with massive turnover. So tell us a little bit about that. 21 years ago, I did fall in love with one thing. And since then, every day, I've been doing that thing. It is helping people enter the market, crush it in the market, stay in the market. And the reason I love it, it's, well, it's an impossible question. It's a huge conundrum. So there is no answer. And this is when I get excited because now we have, we have to get become psychologists marketeers, economists, the best of emotions, of psychology, of numbers, of creativity, of visual language comes together. And and that's why, you know, I'm intellectually stimulated by it. I'm emotionally stimulated by it. And I like a a good big question. So 21 years later, I'm still doing that every day. Monday to Friday. And the only thing that changed is I was doing that for big consultancies and for big brands. And I'm now a tiny company doing it for just 14 countries, small teams, teams up to 25 people mostly. 
and some of the big brands, but mostly we help solopreneurs and people with two to 25 salespeople actually get their life back, right? Because they're doing too much. It's not making them happy. So what we're doing in the coaching is you can get your happy back and you can get to just six hours of work per day. And that's enough if we are doing the right things. So for us, the work is let's find your right things right now. This speaks very, very much to my soul because the whole ethos of the grind seems just self-destructive. And haste seems to be the order of the day. And no one seems to do any reflection. No one seems to do any real planning. And as a result, they're blindly rushing into things that they probably don't need to do. I mean, 90% of my work is having people just ask the simple question, well, is there a better way? You know, one of my favorite exercises of the moment is if you have a system or a process that fails to deliver the intended outcome 50% or more of the time, i.e. it's only successful 50% or less, then that needs to go on to Amber Alert. And in the next three months, it needs a good thorough review and improvement. Anything with an 80% failure rate, i.e. only 20% success rate, needs a red alert. And in the next month, that needs to be revamped. Anything with 95%, that goes into black alert, as in nuclear war. And you stop doing that thing immediately. And you work out why the hell do we uh, accept a 97% failure rate? And what would be better? Well, maybe 95% would be better. That would be really good, but how do we stop the waste? So what are the lies that you see founders and sellers telling themselves constantly that get them into trouble and end up creating needless friction and obstacles to their success? I was working with a large German corporation and I was super frustrated because we would measure progress every month and nothing would change, even if we see it, it doesn't work. And that moment, I realized something. Some projects, they don't want to work. Like some people, they just don't want success. And it's fine, but it's not me. So how can I personally get out of that energy field and never work again with a person who is not set up for success? That was my question to myself. And my experiment was, let me try to only accept projects that measure progress every seven days and discard what's not working every seven days. Mm. Maybe that will clean up the mess that I have got myself into. Turns out that was the exact medicine that I needed. I now only accept projects that every seven days measure if the activities work or not, they do more of what works and they do less of what doesn't. So we don't even wait 30 days. The reason is I wanted to intensify that learning cycle and to weed out the people who actually don't want to learn. They don't want to change anything because that's not how I want to live, right? I want to live a great life, a real-time, very creative life around learning, evolving, and always, always becoming more creative, more wise. 
So, and wise, that's how you say, it's more by reduction than by addition. So the strategy sprints method is all around three habits. And the core one in the middle is every seven days, we measure if the things that we do work or not. And if they don't, they don't get the second week. So it's micro work inspired by all the agile methods like Scrum and design thing, et cetera, which showed us that you can actually make work very small. You can do strawmans, prototypes. You don't have to suffer. Nobody has to suffer. You don't have to hustle. You don't have to suffer. You can quickly experiment and find out if it works or not. If it doesn't work, why wasting time on it? And so what happened is that I am now in fewer projects, but I am so happy in those projects because by definition, they work, right? The things that we do there, they work because every seven days we look at what works and what doesn't. And it's, and I realized, wow, 95% was never in my control, but I was hoping to have control on it. And it's not, I can only control three things in my week, my daily habit, my weekly habit, and my monthly habit once a month. Those are the three things in my control, whatever the weather, whatever happens out there. It's how I allocate my time. That's why the daily habit is around time management. It which activities actually work and which don't. That's the weekly sprint dashboard. And once a month, what else can the client do? How can we show up better? And that will link to also to rebudgeting, so to monthly budgeting. Because whenever we know that, again, we will do more of what works and less of everything else. And we will literally cut 20% of the costs from the left side where we're not winning against our competitors and reinvest it in the next month on the right side where we are currently winning and the client actually needs it. Okay. So in effect, what I'm hearing you say is that the weekly sprints allow you to very rapidly identify what you don't know and also to identify what is and isn't working and create a clear, cohesive pathway to the desired outcome by understanding uh, what you're all working towards as a team. Is that a fair summary? Exactly. What's the fewest number of activities that we should be doing? Yeah. And how, how can we decide that? How can we know that? Only by measuring the reality of our own data. And what is the reality of our own data? Pick a marketing number, a sales number, an operations number to measure every seven days. Learn from it. Embrace your reality and work according to your reality. It's really interesting because, unfortunately, the metaphor doesn't translate particularly well to the younger audience because golf isn't necessarily something that they're into. But what I've realized, selling, coaching, sprints is very much like golf. You want to get round in the fewest number of shots. And most of the time, it's you against the noise in your head. Yes. Not you against the, the course or you against the other competitors. and. When you understand that, that frees up an inordinate amount of time. And mm. I came to an epiphany in the last quarter when I was coaching some of my clients that given the level of complexity of human beings, one of the things that I teach is that 
on top of your shoulders are your parents and on top of their shoulders are their parents. Now, the same goes for everybody around you. So everyone has themselves and two generations above them, nattering in their ears, just giving them advice and telling them what's right and wrong. Now, if you don't make yourself in any way, shape or form, sorry, if you're not an obstacle, you take out all that complexity from the buying process. So the best argument you can possibly think of for being dispassionate and focusing on the other person and their needs is to just take your complexity out of it. Now, most of what you seem to be doing is about breaking really complex problems down into bite-sized manageable chunks. So what are the kind of problems that you can tackle when you're using uh, these sprints in a business as an agency or a um, practice owner? I love this question. And I'm totally with you that the only obstacles is between our ears. We make things overly complicated. So the three habits, and by the way, when I do my personal work on my mindset, my guru does the same thing that I do with my, my entrepreneurs. He strips away my BS and my complicatedness and says, Simon, what's the direct path? Who are you really? And what's here and now? And if you just ask this question, who am I? If I say I am tired, he says, who is I? And now I can identify with tired. Now I'm doing things complicated because I'm entering time space, which will always be tired. Or I say I am. Now I'm I'm on the direct path. That's the truth, actually, the I, which is eternal and has no limits. But back to sales. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, Uh, I think this is important. So um, just build on that and then bring it back to sales because uh, the recognition that you already have the resources is important. And very few people recognize that. They think they're broken or they think they need to be fixed or they think they need to fixate on their weaknesses. Uh, My experience is quite the opposite. Build on your strengths. They are your best development areas. Find people whose strengths make your weaknesses irrelevant. Stop wasting your time on stuff that is low value or doesn't work. And stop deluding yourself that just because you've sunk a lot of energy and effort into something doesn't mean you should continue with it. Yes. So building on that, we make stuff complicated. I see head of sales, salespeople every day not doing the direct path, instead thinking they need to do anything else. So what you said is gold, is that nothing is missing. There is nothing to do. So they think they have to build up social media posts before, in order to pre-frame, to prepare people, because when they then call them, something will be different. The reality is, if you just work three hours per day as a salesperson, you just look at your pipeline, create five stages from they are interested to they are super interested, and you close them, okay? Simple stages. And then every day you look at that, you pick some people in the middle and you call five of them, that's the direct path. And when you call them, you actually listen. (laughs) So without your ego, without your products, 
You just listen and find out what they need. You intro them. You help them get what they need. You help them decide. You make sure that they have an insight in that conversation because you are the expert. And what does it mean? You are the expert. You see something that they don't see. You see around corners. You know something that they don't know. And you know the difference between what they want and what they need. You tell them what they need. You tell them the difference. They will go, wow, thank you. You just do this every day. That's the direct path in sales. And there is the same in marketing. There is the same in operations. But teams dance around it. And instead of doing five hours of that, they do 12 hours of all kinds of things. So I want to pick up on your five simple stages. So let's uh, talk about those very briefly. And then what I'd like to do is uh, dig a little bit deeper into your process for attracting uh, the right type of customer. Because I think many people are blind to that process. And it's essential because if you can't fill the pipeline, you're stuffed, especially in this economy. So what are the five stages? You can start with very simple one, engaged person, very engaged person. I talked to them. I talked a second time to them. I have identified their budget. I've identified what they need. I have identified who takes the decision and I have discussed the proposal. That might be five stages if you're starting out, right? We customize those stages with our clients. For example, I'm looking at my pipeline right now. Ours is a bit more complicated because you know it's the 21th year that we are working with it. But when you start out, just from engaged to very engaged is enough. Our current one is they downloaded something, they completed the game plan, we have scheduled an initial call, we have identified the pain, we have validated the pain, we have identified a budget, we have validated the budget, we have identified the decision maker, we have validated the decision maker, we have discussed the proposal, they are happy like a dog and became a referral partner. That's the last stage and probably the most important one. Yeah, absolutely. When was the last time you had to prospect cold? We did call a stranger. Yeah, just randomly calling a stranger from a list. All the time. We call strangers all the time. So oh. I am I am calling people from this pipeline every day. Right, but yeah, but those are, those are hot. I'm talking about just a pure cold call where there's nothing other than a name and a telephone number and a job type. We do also that. So oh. we also have appointment setters on our team. Mm-hmm. We do also that. But that's not the direct path. After many years in business and when you're scaling across countries, you can add additional revenue streams and sales streams. But that's not a recommendation to everybody. That's your scaling stage. Probably most people listening right now, it's wonderful if just for the next three months, you only look at your pipeline and think, who needs a conversation right now? And then you call them. You you just overcome plastic allergy. And you just call them. It's not even plastic anymore. But I use this word <laughs> from, from former times where a telephone was made of plastic. Just call them because people, and this is where we do overcomplicatedness. We have emotions up front. We think they might reject us. We think we are interrupting them in something more important. Fact is, we don't know. They know. So respect that. Give them just a chance. 
to find what they need if it is what they need. And that's by calling them. Okay. So let's just dig into another crucial question. In this day and age, we're always you know, hearing people complain how busy they are, how little time there is, how many meetings they're being sucked into, all the distractions and everything else. And you mentioned earlier, you know, being able to do a six-hour day. The key question then is, how do you multiply yourself? How do you replicate what you do and scale in a way that means you don't need to hire additional people and you don't need to break the bank in terms of technology? Because I, I suspect most of this stuff, with the right intelligent thought and a little bit of patience, you can develop really powerful systems within your business that don't involve paying IT. Yes, totally. So you can run a wonderful team, super lean, just with a few core systems and software and freelancers. And you can scale that far and wide and deep if you want to. We are a good example of that. Uh, nobody works a lot on our team. I play with my kids mo most of the day. It starts with me playing with my kids, me doing what's good for me, workouts, sports. I'm creative. I meet people. I have two workouts a day. I have friends. I have a life. I have time to for dates with my wife. And in between... I am here to serve our clients, our team, but it's not eating up my life. It's more an enrichment. And it's especially, it's, it's, it is what funds my life. Now, it's the fuel of my life. I don't feel like, oh, I have to go to work. It's more like, wow, let's go to the garden. Let's water it, curate it, because this beautiful thing is feeding, is feeding my life and my family's life and many, many families' lives. So talk to me about some of the case studies that you worked with clients with. I'm curious about the problems that they originally thought they had that they came to you with. And what did you realize or what did they realize very quickly the real problems were? Let's think of Sunny, who is in Los Angeles. He, he was called by people who need developers or who have technical problems in projects, they would call Sunny. And then after a while, he would have 17 different projects with 17 different scopes and definitions of work, 17 different profitability levels because they were so different. And so, of course, he was working too much and the profitability wasn't very high and the team was a on the brink of burnout because they were delivering all the time. So they were solving the client's problems all the time, but when were they solving their own problems? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. And that was one of our first questions. It's a, it's a strategy sprints coach question from week one, because usually when we start working with people, they are so in the business that they don't have time to work on the business. Always delivering for their clients that's what makes them great. But then we have to start working on their own business. So with Sunny, we said, okay, Sunny, let's do the daily habit, weekly habit, monthly habit. He started doing these things. He quickly identified, because the daily habit asks, what will you delegate tomorrow? If you would live more freely and more intentionally, what would you do tomorrow? So he realized two things. 
One is half of the tasks that he does during the day, he wants to delegate. So we helped him delegate it with the software and with freelancers and with people on his team. Second thing was we simplified his offer. Now he didn't offer 17 different things. We treated the offer like a product. And service teams usually don't treat their offer like a product. But you can. And by doing that, you are simplifying things for everybody, for the sales team, for the delivery team, for the client, for yourself. So we mapped out how he creates value on one page. And each step, we started to help him writing it down, systemizing, delegating it. Now he had a much clearer positioning. We helped him pick one ideal client, one ideal offer of those 17. Yeah. And then we helped him and we said, look, you don't need 100 clients. You just need this one ideal client 10 times and then 100 times. But let's go for this one 10 times. He picked that. Now his marketing became very simple because he picked blockchain. So in the whole realm of tech, he picked this subtopic blockchain. So it's not sunny, come to me for all tech problems, come to me for blockchain related problems in your business. Yeah. And his weekly LinkedIn newsletter became the three things blockchain you need to know this week. Once a week, very simple, very clear, very strong. Now, everybody would say, hey, go to Sunny. He's the blockchain guy. So he became more easily referable, which creates, again, the starting point for our JV systems that we installed with him. We have 274 templates. Two of them are the small JV system and the big JV system, how you can make it easy for other people to refer to you. And so that create, created a, a, a full set of repeatable revenue streams. But the starting point was in month one, pick one ideal client, pick one offer, pick one transformation mechanism. And once a week, show your expertise in one channel that they use to make decisions. And his, in his case, it was LinkedIn. And we just optimized that for 90 days. And what Sunny told us then, he said, well, first I have a life again. <laughs> my team is less stressed. But then especially my sales went through the roof. Through the roof means? Be means it was so easy to sell. Instead of six calls, it was just two calls because he knew what he offers. And after two calls, they knew it. I either need it or I don't need it. If I don't need it, bye-bye. But he got referrals. Because, oh, but I know that person who needs blockchain developers. So right. it was so easy to grasp what he's doing that the sales conversations got more direct and more efficient, but also he became highly referable. And in terms of the revenue growth and over what period of time? I didn't ask him if he's okay to disclose it publicly, but in 90 days, his sales went through the roof. That's the words that well, he gave you, me. You, you made the claim that you'll help people double their sales in 90 days. I'm assuming it exceeded that. Look, doubling, that was more than doubling. Doubling is pretty straightforward. If you want to 
increase your sales by 99%. You just need to increase three things by 25%. So again, complicated things made very simple. If you go the direct path, just increase three things by 25% and they increase your revenue by 99%. First one is increase the frequency of your sales by 25%. You can do that by reducing the sales time with a good email sequence, with good nurturing campaigns, or by just getting more conversations done per week. The second one is you increase your conversion rate. And there are nine things to do in a sales conversation to increase your conversion rate. They are around how you prepare for the call and how you listen and help buy during the call. And the third one is if you charge 25% more for the same offer, and you can do it if you remember Sunny's example, it was so clear and so well positioned that he could charge more because that was exactly what people needed. It was a must-have for them in that moment. And they trusted him to do it because he was so clear and so focused on that one thing. So you can, in that case, increase your prices by 25% without losing significant amounts of, of deals. So these three things by 25% and you have doubled revenue. So it's really not that hard. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, when people bleating about uh, having to grow by 10 or 20%, it's almost impossible to go into most organizations and not five, find 400% growth potential if they ask the right questions. So that then brings me to another really important question, which is when people as a founder or a leader in their business, or even a salesperson, because I see the salesperson having a leadership role as well, how can they identify and define their genuine, their true, their actual strategic value? Because I can't remember who said it. I think it was my pal, Kieran. And he said, there are three types of jobs. There are $10 jobs, $100 jobs, and $1,000 an hour jobs. And the $10 job, you want to delegate. The $100 jobs, you want to supervise the people that you delegate them to. And the $1,000 jobs, you might want to do yourself. Or ideally, you can recruit people who can do those. And the key, and I'm guessing this is where your daily habits comes, is in making sure that you're spending your time on the high-value activity rather than the low-value activities. Yes, exactly. The direct path is doing the $10,000 jobs and not doing anything else. Yeah. And we can get there with, you know, with a high-ticket B2B offer, which is the people we're, we're working with, and they don't need that many closings per month. So we have six questions that we have them answer in a circle. And the reason why it's a circle, and I'm happy for to share it with people, they can download it later on and fill it out for themselves. It's a circle because it's like a labyrinth where you start outside and it forces you to land in the middle where the clarity is. So outside, it's all questions about what your clients need, what's coming up for them, and why does it matter? Why they need to change? And are they ready to change? And how will you help them be ready for what's coming? And in the middle, that's now your offer. We call it your strategic value. This is how I help you be ready for what's coming. That's fantastic because it's a critical question that every seller needs to have in their arsenal, which is, well, what are you doing to prepare for what's to come? 
Exactly. And now you are working with so many salespeople every day. You know that they get pushed into commodity discussions, into price discussions, into boring discussions. If you come prepared with your six questions and in the middle you have, this is how I can help you be ready for what's coming. Nobody will talk price with you. They will just say, this is exactly what I need. When can we start? Or they will say, no, hey, it's not me, but Bob. Can I, can I introduce you to Bob? <laughs> These are the two outcomes because you've done your homework and now you are talking about their relevant, vital needs, not their wants, their needs. And that's the direct path. So your sales conversation will be shorter, will be easier. And actually, I would really recommend people fill out those their own six answers. And in the end, we, we can tell them where they can download it. It's an open source tool. They can download it on our website. Wonderful. Okay, well, we'll make sure that the link is in the blurb as well. So we talked about this entrepreneur's budget. And so let's spend a bit of time on the finances of the business, because without money, the business folds. And uh, it seems to have been something that's lost on uh, many businesses in tech, because, uh, well, they, they understand the need for cash, just not necessarily generating it or keeping it. Let's talk about money, first of all. Mm-hmm. So, Let's start with money concept. What does the relationship with money look like, typically in your experience, with sellers and with founders? How do they relate to money? And what sort of blind spots do they have or baggage do they carry with them that causes them to lose their intelligence when money is involved or their scruples? One thing is the the emotion. What's the main emotion? that you associate with money, with making money, with money flows. And the second one is knowledge. On the emotion side, we all have a baggage for some reason. There is a meaning around money. So if we see that we help get one meter between those associations, because actually money is just a feedback loop for something that works. So if you're helping me gain time, I'm, I'm paying you and I'm happy. If you're helping me de-risk my business, I'm paying you and I'm happy. If you're helping me increase sales, I want to pay you. That's it. And so on your side, every additional emotion on that, except, hey, thank you, is <laughs> not really needed. It's just a feedback loop. It's a quality control loop. So if you do good work, money flows. That's the, how we see it. Money is a symptom. The money is a symptom of you doing good work and not having your reputation damaged over time uh, by doing bad work and then selling and running. So I think it's really important that we understand that money is a benchmark and it tells you how much other people value the work that you are doing. As long as you have that kind of relationship with money, it's healthy. The moment the money becomes the issue and you obsess about making it or losing it, that's where things go horrifically wrong. So how do you help people with uh, sprints and systems and tools to have a better working relationship with money 
and be clear about where their next dollar will come from. Yeah. Step one, see the money flows. Step two, reduce costs. And step three, reduce activities. So step one, see where the money is coming from and where the money goes to. Most people don't get an entrepreneurial money report. So what is an entrepreneurial money report? Is one that tells you this is working, this is not working. This is the cost of acquiring a client. This is the cost of working with the client. This is the cost of marketing. This is the cost of innovating. That's the profit margin in percentage of this month. This is where money goes to and comes from. And this is money that you need soon to spend, so save it, or that you will get soon, so don't worry. <laughs> that's an entrepreneurial report. That's really interesting. One of the companies that I'm founder of, I guess, has been able to create technology that can map where every cent of revenue comes from, data sources, uh, which technology it goes through, which lead magnets it touches, which human beings touch it, which bits of technology functionality touch it, um, so that you can map where the money is coming from and what happens if you take something out or adjust it before you end up uh, making the decision. And then you can double down. But a really good example, an e-commerce company was running something like 1,800 adverts a month they ran the data, they identified two adverts that had the best conversion, they reduced cost by 50 grand a month and generated 2 million a month off the back of it. That's the advantage of having that kind of data. You Absolutely. don't need technology if you no. use Simon's tool. No, it's a simple spreadsheet. We have built it in, I don't know, 100 hours of work because in order to, to make something simple, you have to put in the work. But we have done that. Now it's simple. It's one tab of one spreadsheet. You can watch the video where I show how you explained it to a freelancer who does your accounting. So you can have a freelancer for 30 bucks an hour and they just need a few hours per week to make that report. Or you give it to an accountant um, team outside your organization, but you tell them, this is what I need every month because you will, you will create two reports each month. One is for the financial institutions you usually report to. And one is for me as an entrepreneur because I need to take decisions every day and I need data to base my decisions upon. So this is why you will use this tab of this spreadsheet. And every month I will see just six things, profit in percentage, Costs of work, cost of acquiring work, cost of innovating work, money that comes in, money that goes out, expenses I need soon to, so accounts receivable and money that I need to spend soon and cash flow. That's it. It takes them 10 minutes after they have that template. And so that's step one. You see now the money flows. Step two. Let's criticize the money flows, which one are actually having impact. You put a dollar or an hour into it, and it, it's creating a multiple of that. So I see things in those cash flow reports. 
I see people spending on marketing, on being on podcasts, on social media, on ads. And then when you ask, okay, what did it do this, this month? There is no multiple at all. It's just a black hole with a ton of fancy metrics reported that make everybody feel smart, but nothing actually happens for the client. Nothing actually happens for the team. So step two is smart cost cutting. And this is where now this financial report comes together with the monthly habit. What else can the client do? What do they really need this month? And what does the competitor do? Now, with these two informations together, every month, you know where to cut 20% from the left side, where you're not winning, and how to reinvest it into the right side. These are the activities where you are crushing it. You are winning against your competitor and your clients actually needs it. This is where you will reinvest 20% of that. And it's strength-based. It is something that is already working and you just do slightly more of it, 20% more attention and budget. And one very important thing to do on the cost side is to turn costs from fixed costs into variable costs. I see those P&Ls and I wonder, why don't you turn that into a variable cost? Okay, naive question, why? Because you want resilience and de-risking. And you want to pay from your profits, never from your revenues. For example, if you have a vendor that says, I will bring you into, I will do public relations for you. Instead of giving them 5,000 per month, you might say, I want to be in the Wall Street Journal and I will pay 12,000 to be in the Wall Street Journal after you landed me. I want to be in Entrepreneur's Magazine and I will pay 3,000 when you landed me there. That's much more precise for the vendor, for you. It is de-risked for you. It will keep them on their toes. They will also listen. And your briefings, your meetings will be much better per week because you are both sharp and well-briefed. Instead of, here is the subscription, 5,000 per month, and then they don't really take it seriously. You don't really take it seriously. And it's just a running expenditure, like a Netflix subscription. Instead, make it precise. And this way, if they land you, you're happy to pay because there is impact. But if they don't land you, you just don't pay. And do this with all major expenses, being advertisement, performance-based payments, wherever it makes sense and wherever you want to de-risk and increase resilience, reduce risk and increase resilience. Well, what, what's interesting is when Patty Hatter, uh, who is the SVP at Palo Alto Networks, introduced the idea of outcome-based pricing, Sales went up for the year by 94% in the final quarter because that's when they introduced it. And what it also did was evened out the spread of demand on operations because people were focused on the outcome on all sides. And as a result, the right people were always brought into the teams. The customer was happy and they were happy to pay a premium. 
And by de-risking the offer for the customer, you're removing uncertainty. And uncertainty in the brain creates the worst case scenario as a default setting. The one question I would have, because you sell the way you buy, is if you work on the basis of outcome-based pricing for your vendors, do you offer outcome-based pricing for your customers? We're talking how to reduce risk and increase resilience in your PL. So we would go through all the main costs and see if you're actually paying from the profits or from the revenues, because that will make the reality check on both sides. And in some cases, you will turn that into flexible contracts. And in some cases, you will decide to keep it into fixed contracts because it depends on what the task is. So there is not one way of doing it for all cost positions. For some things, you want to have very, very long-term contracts, go for that. But for many of those, you will realize, wait a moment, this should be much sharper and around outcomes. Now, the question is, is it in their control? So that's why there is not one blanket answer to all cost positions, but we will go through all cost positions and look at what is in their control, what is in your control, and what can you make sharper by reducing risk and increasing resilience at the same time. So in the end, you might spend more, but you have spent it wisely. Or in a specific month, let's say in a month, you are having 60,000 in sales, you are happy to pay 25,000 to vendors because they helped you create it. But let's say the next month, you have just 15,000 in sales, which can happen, just yeah. a bad month. In those months, you don't want to have the same expenditure as the other month. Yep, no, that makes sense. Okay, so a huge blind spot that many people end up falling foul of in business um, is they forget to have fun. How does that happen? And how do they get out of it? When they start working with us, they tell us that they are underwater, underwater, underwater. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. And they, that makes you grumpy and that makes you not happy. So the next step is we start mapping out what they're doing, help them simplify. And step two is usually they are now much more focused. They have a clear path forward and they're looking for breakthroughs on that path and are super sharp. So they go from being underwater like a turtle, stage two, they are now fast like a cheetah. In this second month, they are pretty happy and full of adrenaline, but because they're onto something. And so they are focused. They're like an athlete during a sprint. They're fully alive, but their friends miss them. Their spouses Ah, come on, you're working all the time. Yeah, you tell me you're happy, but you're working all the time. You are there in this room all the time. Come on, come to us. And so from the outside, they're important people miss them. So step three is we shift from fast like a cheetah to happy like a dog. And that is different for everybody listening right now, but you feel it. You feel it and you know what it is for you. You know what is your happy place. You know, you know what is your happy workspace. You know what is your favorite people to hang out with. 
And that's what we help focus on, like literally from daily habit, weekly habit, monthly habit, make it your work life around your needs. Because in the end, the business should fund the life that you want to have. Absolutely. And if you want to have that conversation with either me or with Simon about what you want your business or your career in sales to give you in life, then get in touch. It's what we do for a living. It's what we do every day. And we love to do it. Um, and actually, between you and I, we're pretty good at it, too. Simon, tell me this. Um, you've got a golden ticket and you can go back and whisper in the ear of the idiot Simon, age 23, who knew everything. You're invincible, immortal. What one choice bit of advice would you whisper in his ear that he'd have probably have ignored at 23, but um, looking back would have benefited from? You are loved. Let that sink in, people. Okay. So what do you mean by that? He wouldn't listen to me, but his hyperactivity and overambitiousness comes from a sense of luck. There is something missing. The way I am is not enough. I have to build something, I have to do something, I have to be something. And that is what I'd like to say to every person in every age, but especially the 23-year-old Simon, there is nothing missing. Enjoy the ride. And you are loved. The way it is, it's perfect. Enjoy the ride. That self-concept issue is something that I deal with every day, well, my, with myself as well as with others. And if you don't develop your self-awareness, self-compassion, then how can you expect anybody else to want to be in your company? You become a repellent if you're not. So let, let's finish on this note. Experience has taught me that the bulk of my problems in life have occurred because I've created the conditions for it. So let's finish on this, the, the lies that we tell ourselves, the excuses. What are the excuses that you hear people saying to themselves every day that are lies? They're just self-deceptions. Lie number one, I don't have time for. Yep. Because how much time does it take you to hug somebody? How much time does it take you to say, I love you to somebody? How much time does it take to say, I love you to yourself? Just to yourself. I love you. So biggest lie, I don't have time. And you remember, I was there. I, I know how it is to bullshit yourself and say, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. So for me, it was stripping away everything that does not measure reality every seven days. That was for me, the cure. Whatever the cure is for you, feel inside yourself, do that. Yeah, but you don't have to. There is no reason to suffer. On that note, I could not agree more. There is no reason to suffer. And if you are suffering, either you are doing it wrong or you're in the, an organization which has leaders who are doing it wrong. So again, reach out. We're here to help. And um, Simon, what would you recommend people read, watch, or listen to that you thought, yeah, that's really good? If they like to read, I wrote a book called Strategy Sprints. It's on Amazon. People tell it's, it's a practical book that they use like a cookbook 
They have a marketing issue, they go to the marketing chapter. They have a sales issue, they go to the sales chapter. They have a hiring issue, go to the hiring chapter. If you're more of a practical person, like a builder, a doer, then I would say, forget the book. Go directly to strategiesprints.com and download this tool that we were talking about. It's the first tool on top. It's called strategic value. It's only six questions in a circle. It will take you 20 minutes to do, but it will create so much clarity. And in the middle, that answer, number six, that will make your sales life much easier and maybe even very enjoyable. So I would go there, strategiesprints.com, download the tool, especially the strategic value, put in 20 minutes, might make everything much simpler for you. That's lovely. And how can people get hold of you? I hang out everywhere. If you put in Simon Severino into the internet, the internet loves me. It will bring you to us. If you want to talk to me, go to strategiesprints.com, click, talk, click anything, you land on our calendars. Excellent. Simon, thank you. Thank you, Marcos, for showing up for your community with consistency and with a big heart. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So this is Marcus Cappy signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. I'm currently launching with my wife, Suzanne, a program specifically called Successful Selling for Women. The objective is to help women break through the glass ceiling, deal with the obstacles that they face day to day in terms of performing in sales, but also in getting promoted into leadership positions. We are on a mission that sales needs to be revamped. It needs a, a grassroots revamp. And we need to bring more women in. We bring, need to make sales more diverse. And we need to make it fairer and more ethical. And we spouse a process called principled selling, which is for ambitious and principled sellers who want to be successful, who are balancing on a tightrope between doing what's right for the customer every time and making sure that they keep their job and succeed. And that's a difficult balance. And what's happened in the last few months is the market has changed. And you're probably finding that what used to work doesn't. So if that's the case, then please reach out either Marcus at laughsightandlast.com or ping me and book a meeting through the link in the blurb. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.